Well, welcome again. If this is your first time to New City, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here with Pastor Mike. And uh, we have been, for the last two to three months, working through this letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Galatians, the church the churches in Galatia. And actually the last four weeks, if you've been here, we took a little bit of a break because one of the issues in these churches is that they need to figure out how to cultivate and uh, eagerly maintain unity that was given to them by the Spirit. There was like this division over stuff that ultimately did not matter. It was second and third rank stuff when they should be celebrating what uh, the, the, the first rank issues of the gospel are. And so we felt like it was a good opportunity, felt actually like the Spirit was leading us to take a break as a church and look at Romans 14 and 15 and discuss these principles that Paul gives to the church in Rome on how they can maintain unity and actually work together and love one another. So things like having a posture of welcome, eliminating suspicion, you know, recognizing that Christ will be able to make people stand and talking about listening to our conscience, and we did four weeks on that and a couple sermon pluses, and hopefully that was an encouragement. Today we find ourselves back in the text, and you know, as we just read those nine verses, you're probably like, well, what is going on? What is Paul talking about? And so if we just set the, the table a little bit, if you remember, if you've been here or you're familiar with Galatians, the issue at hand is that you have these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians, and they're not like figuring out how to live in the gospel together. And Paul actually comes, rebukes Peter, a Jewish leader, for living out of step with the truth of the gospel and kind of going back into this way of living that is under the law when Christ has set us free from the law. There's a new way to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Peter's religious influence and those with him, are, and then false teachers, are causing these young believers to actually go astray and wander from the truth. So Paul gets word of this, and as you just see here in verse 12, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm urging you, don't live like these false teachers. Don't be influenced by them. Don't imitate them. Imitate me. And then he pleads with them. He goes, I came to you. I laid down my Jewishness. I laid down my preferences. I laid down my rights. I became like you, and now I'm asking you to come be like me. And the main purpose for this whole plea is verse 19, that Christ would be formed in them. That's kind of like the whole shooting match. This morning, ultimately, I want to persuade you to live a life of imitation. That's the word for us today. To live a life of imitation. Now, whether you realize it or not, you actually already are. <laughs> Probably in many different ways. All of us are imitators. We're image bearers. We reflect what we value, what we behold, what we delight in. And so, you know, we, you can look at any part of our lives and see that we're imitators. We look and act like our parents, or we look and act like our heroes, or our favorite actors, or actresses, or singers, or you know, uh, sports players, or friends, or teachers. We're all, we've all been influenced in, in profound ways, and therefore we reflect and imitate all these people around us. I want to persuade you that we are actually to lean into that and live a life of imitation. Namely, that we would imitate Christians who are following Jesus. And then secondly with that, I want to persuade you, and this is the scary one for sure, that you should be calling others to imitate you. How'd that feel? And it was kind of like, you had me on the first one, I'm good with that one. Second one, getting people to come follow me, I'm not quite sure. Even that very statement probably bubbles up things in your heart and mind of areas where you're maybe not following Jesus. Areas that aren't so imitation worthy. And that's kind of the point, so we're going we're to get there eventually. 
Paul uh, basically says, like, hey, you're, he recognizes the problem. There are these believers who are wandering. They're being influenced by false teachers, false living. They're walking out of the freedom that they have in Christ, and they're now living according to the world. They're flesh, under the law. They're trying to attain righteousness and unity in ways outside of the gospel that has been bought for them by Christ. And this is what Paul says. Here's the remedy. The remedy for all of this wandering and being out of step with the truth of the gospel and out of step with the Spirit, the remedy is not some 90-day fast and plan and reading plan and small group and this and that. The remedy is actually to imitate Paul. It's amazing. In the context of what's taking place here, Paul talks about how when he first came to them, and there's no account of this in Acts, but apparently at some point Paul was sick. He was diseased. Pretty seriously. Uh, there's, you know, there are different opinions on what the ailment was. Some people think it was like bouts of epilepsy. Some people think he caught malaria and goes up to the north part, high region of Galatia. But whatever it was, he comes to them the first time and he's diseased. He would have looked strange even, like he would have looked sick. And he says, this would have been a trial to you, but you basically passed the temptation because the temptation for those in Galatia would have been to scorn him, despise him. In fact, the, all the chatter around town would have been like, well, here's a diseased man. Number one, he's unclean. He could be contagious. Number three, he's clearly out of favor with the gods. He's being cursed. And so don't touch him or you're going to be cursed too. And yet those in the church in Galatia, it says, Paul says, received him as if he was a messenger from God, an angel. As if he was Christ himself walking into Galatia. It reminds me of a, a Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to go into all these surrounding villages and towns. And he says, if they receive you, disciples, it's going to be as if they receive me. And so there was this concept and awareness that when a man or a woman of God entered town, your reception of them was like receiving Christ himself. And so Paul's like, you passed the test. In fact, it, it's, it's probable that he had some kind of issue even with his eyes because he says, I, I'll testify even that you were so you know, loving towards me and caring for me that many of you would have actually gouged out your own eye and given it to me <laughs> if it would have like, healed me and helped me. He says, you treated me like I was Christ himself and now what happened? What happened? Because now by telling you the truth and you're wandering, you're treating me like the devil, the enemy, this huge turnaround, this huge gap that has now happened in the way that they're living. And he says these, these people, these false teachers who are influencing you, they're just flattering you. They're teasing you. They're saying nice and, you know, uh, 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 things that are enticing to you. They're luring you, but they don't care about you. They're flattering you so that you would make much of them. That's the goal of these people who want you to imitate them. And by the way, you know, isn't that the world? They say, you know, you know the saying, imitation, or imitation is the highest form of flattery? Well, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the goal of imitation from the world's perspective. That they would say all these things, you can look better, you can feel better, you can do this, like how awesome this would be, people will like you and respect you, but it's really just going to make much of the person that you're imitating, or the thing that you're imitating. And Paul says, I don't care about any of that. I'm not interested in you making much of me. In fact, I'll go through childbirth again. I'll go through the worst kind of pain. And all the ladies said, amen. Just so that you can become more like Christ. I, uh, <laughs> I recently just experienced childbirth. Why is that funny? Annika, I see we have baby Jonathan's first appearance here today. It's good to see you guys. 
my wife, actually, I think Penny, I think my daughter, my, my third child was born about five weeks ago. It's hard to believe it's been five weeks already. And so there I was in that room. And uh, I'm kidding. Here's, here's what's amazing about childbirth. I saw my wife, her whole pregnancy, and then even in actual labor, at great cost to herself, do whatever was necessary so that the child could be healthy. You know, you think about Paul. Paul's like this big theologian. He's a, he's a missionary. He's an evangelist. He's kind of like, he comes off rough and gruff sometimes. I mean, for goodness sake, there's this account of him calling out Peter. But here, he comes like a father. He comes like a parent. He comes like a pastor. And he's like, this is the kind of agony that I feel. And I'm willing to pour myself out like a drink offering, he, self, he says elsewhere, for the sake of you and your faith that Christ would be formed in you. I'm, like, I feel like I'm going through all kinds of agony. I don't care about what people think about me. I just want you to live like me because I'm telling you right now. I live for Jesus. I live like Jesus. And it's the best way to live. I want you to experience the joy that I have in my life. I want you to experience the freedom that I have. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's giving all this list of all the sufferings that he went through in his ministry. And he says, beyond all of that, Beyond all of those burdens, I have the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The greatest infirmity Paul faced was the burden he carried for Christ being formed in the people that he shared the gospel with. And so, Paul wants Christ to take shape in the lives of these believers in Galatians. And so, what's the appeal? And I, I, I was like thinking, okay, you know, if I... I said this before, but if it's like if, if we had a group think here and we had a whiteboard, it's like think about someone in your life who you know, maybe it's yourself, that you know like needs to kind of come back and really start pursuing Jesus and living for Jesus. And it's like, all right, let's brainstorm. What are all the Christian things we know? We're going to put together a plan for this person to stop wandering. Here's what we're going to do. They're going to memorize this passage of Scripture. We're going to plug them into a, a small group for sure. By the way, these are all wonderful, necessary things. We're going to get a prayer team to pray for these people daily. We're going to do all this type of stuff. And it's all like these you know, wonderful gifts and disciplines, and that's all awesome, but we'd miss one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us for spiritual formation. And that is this. Why don't we find somebody who looks and lives like Jesus and tell this person to follow them? That's what Paul is saying here. Here's the remedy for your waywardness. Imitation. Imitation, as I mentioned, it's like hardwired into who we are. It's unavoidable in our lives. I remember as a kid, I grew up in Liverpool, New York. It's just about 10 minutes outside of Syracuse. And so you know, Syracuse basketball was a, was a big thing. As a little kid, we had a, a basketball uh, in the park in our neighborhood. And I'd get home from school in the fall, and I'd ride my bike about a half mile go to this basketball court and bring my basketball and there was a point guard for Syracuse at the time his name was Jason Hart I thought he was I literally thought he was the coolest guy in the world he, he actually had a terrible jumper and Bayheim yelled at him all the time but I thought he looked cool and I like wanted to be with him and so I played basketball with my friends but I would practice apart from my friends to impress my friends obviously and I'd dribble and this is how Jason Hart would do his layup I remember it so clearly it's a vivid image he would come across like this which is a terrible decision and then he'd go back up like this. And so I would, I would be out there for 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, mimicking Jason Hart. I remember I went to school one day, and I was a big Michael Jordan fan. And on the weekends, oftentimes, me and my dad would go to our buddy's house, Steve Kresak. We would watch the Bulls, would order pizza and wings, and I loved Michael Jordan. And all of a sudden, my friend at school comes in. He's got a North Carolina jersey with Jordan on the back. I'm like, oh, man, I need that. I remember asking my parents for a pair of Jordans and a Jordan jersey. 
we didn't have hardly any money, so that wasn't happening. And so I saved up money, and I went to Kmart. Anybody remember Kmart? <laughs> yep, ch- cheaper than Walmart. And I, I went to Kmart, and I bought a blue shirt and blue shorts, like $2 each probably, and I came home, and I got in my sister's art set, sorry, Charity, and I took like these, you know, this like pastel chalk, and I created the North Carolina logo on my blue shirt, and I wrote Jordan on the back, wore it to school. I mean, it's just like I so desperately wanted to be like Jordan and all my friends to think I was cool. Side note. Nobody thinks it's cool if you walk in with your homemade Kmart pastel-created Michael Jordan jersey. Didn't exactly work. I see imitation in my son, Emerson. He is the best, and he's a wild man. Emerson loves to go to the gym with me. Half the time when he's about to eat food, he goes, Dad, does this have protein? Is, Is there protein in here? He plays his guitar, he sings. If we're riding in the car, in the van, he's making up random songs about what he sees on the side of the road. If you, most meals, if you ask him what he wants, he goes, whatever daddy's having. He's just a little image bearer. Uh, I also see imitation in my son in his impatience and his anger and his competitive spirit. Imitation is real. It's happening in your life. You are imitating people. And the only, the the thing about imitation is it's not only the remedy, this is the danger, it's not only the remedy of getting out of the flesh and following Jesus by looking and imitating those who are following Jesus, imitation is also the dangerous slippery slope that causes us to walk away from Jesus by looking to other people who are living for themselves or for the world that we esteem or place value on or we covet. In chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, Paul's going to say to these same Galatians, you are running well. Who? Say who. Who hindered you? He doesn't say what circumstance happened, what thing came up in your life, what distracted you. He's like, no, no, no. There is a person. You're starting to imitate somebody else. Somebody else is influencing you. And now you're going astray. And actually, I mean, if you look at it, think about your own wandering. It may not be because of even a person you know, but there's some kind of ideal of a person or a movement or a thing. And all of a sudden you begin to wander and it's a slippery Slope. I mean, think about how bad imitation has been a stumbling block for you in your own spiritual formation. You've got people, spiritual fathers and mothers who you looked up to and loved and respected and then they fell. They failed and they went through a serious season of rebellion or wandering or sin and it affected you. And This is why the warning is that, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You follow men insofar as much as they're following Jesus. And when men and women inevitably fall, and they will, you don't have to look any further than the mirror to know that. You remember that we're living in a broken world, and we're doing our best to follow Jesus, and we need help. Amen? Amen. It's also far too easy, another danger of imitation, it's far too easy to flatter people so that they in turn flatter you. That's that's what's happening with these false teachers here. It's cheap imitation. It's godless imitation. It's so easy, isn't it, to fall into the trap of needing people to need you? But that doesn't mean that we avoid imitation, because we can't. We are imitators at the core. We're image bearers. You look at Adam and Eve, image bearers, in the garden. There's this perfect relationship. It's wonderful. And sin enters, and then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, what you see is bad imitation over and over and over. Men and women who are supposed to be reflecting the King and His glory, foreshadowing Christ to come, 
and they're falling, or they're making, seeking to make much of themselves, and there's pride, and there's arrogance, and there's greed, and then there's idolatry, and then there's false gods, and it's all this bad, improper, you know, imitation. And people are like, well, who are we supposed to look to? <laughs> are we supposed to live? And then the law is enslaving. This is the beauty of Christ coming to earth. Christ redeemed imitation. What you have is God in the flesh coming and living the perfect life that you're supposed to live. And so now, and in the scriptures, and through Jesus, we've got a picture of what we're actually supposed to imitate and somebody who did it rightly. I mean, Jesus' command in the New Testament, when he says to his disciples, come and follow me, what is that? Imitation. He's saying, follow me, imitate me, do what I do, think what I think, sleep where I sleep, eat what I eat, listen to what I'm saying and say those things. And then he sends them out as his own messengers and says, now go teach other people. And when they receive you, it's as if they're receiving me. In fact, in Matthew 28, when he gives the Great Commission, he says, go into all the nations, make disciples. What is that? Imitation. Teaching them all that I've commanded, and I'm going to be with you. So Jesus' command for those to follow him is imitation, and then he sends them out for people to imitate his disciples. It's a crucial part of our spiritual growth. And so imitation isn't just hardwired into who we are as people. It's hardwired into the gospel story and God's plan for your spiritual formation. The New Testament is filled with this language. Imitate Christ. Imitate people who are imitating Christ. Call for others to imitate you. Let's look at a, a few texts, for example. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, therefore, and this is, this is the ultimate here, be imitators of God as beloved children. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, I mentioned, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Already right there, we have three different locations, right? 1 Corinthians 4, 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Hebrews chapter 6, 11 through 12, you know, maybe you're thinking, yeah, but this is all Paul language. It's like, I'm not Paul, I'm not an apostle, I wasn't a disciple, does this even, is that like kind of where the, the sphere of imitation lies, and now we just kind of like look to the scriptures and we imitate as best we can people here? No. What does he say in Hebrews 6, 11 through 12? We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7-9 You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Philippians 4.9 What you have learned from me and received from me and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Hebrews 13.7 Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. How about Philippians 3.17 Brothers, join in imitating me. Not just me, but keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Or how about 1 Timothy 4.12, where Paul says to Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. There are more passages, but what do you see? Imitation is built into your sanctification. It's built into your spiritual walk, your growth. Your Christian life should be one of imitation. It's not to be avoided. 
It's actually an instrument from God for Christ to be formed in you, to take shape in you. It's one of the greatest instruments God has given to shape you into Christ. Over and over, in each of these churches, each of these locations, Paul is saying, here is my plea with you, my urge. Imitate people who are following Jesus. It's crucial. It's often met with strong words, exhortations. I mean, think about it. How else do you see on this earth, how else do you see and experience things like generosity or self-control? Or discipline. I mean, think about it for a second. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul's going to talk to us about keeping his step with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And the Spirit guides us, He leads us, He changes us, He's doing a work in us. But a lot of conversation in the church about the Holy Spirit seems abstract, right? It's kind of like it's this thing that we talk about, the Holy Spirit, you can't see Him, but you're supposed to feel Him. Is it the goosebumps I got during that song? Was it like the you know, thing that happened to me when I saw the sunset the other day, this person, like, what, what, what is it? What, what do you mean the Holy Spirit, like, leading and guiding me? And think about the Holy Spirit and how he works, what we see in Scripture. God uses means, and often mainly people. It's like, you know, today you could have, you know, if you don't know Winston, here's Winston. And let's say Winston came up to you, meets you in the foyer today, and he's like, man, that's great, da, da, da. And then all of a sudden, like, Winston just says something, the Lord carries his words, and it's like something that you've been, like, begging God to know. And he uses a stranger to give you a word of knowledge, and you're kind of like, well, that was the Holy Spirit. There's nothing else that could explain it. Or you're out in creation, the still, small voice of God just is so working in your spirit, and you're present with the Lord, and then there's just this confidence, this intuition from the Lord that, you're supposed to do this or feel this. Or you come to church on a Sunday morning and, you know, you, we sing a song and there's a lyric that addresses, a song you never heard, there's a lyric that addresses a situation of yours and you're just like, oh man, it's the Holy Spirit. In the same way, imitation is a tool used by the Spirit to allow you to see Christ and how you're supposed to live. As I mentioned, it's how you see generosity. It's how you see the self-control of Christ. It's how you see his discipline. It's how you see the joy of Jesus. It's how you see Jesus' service. It's how you see his kindness and his patience and his compassion, his simplicity, his sober-mindedness, his humility. It's how you see examples of godly speech and purity. I told a brother of mine recently, you know, if I were to ask you the question, why are you a Christian today? Right now, why are you a Christian what would be the answers that you would give? You know, I, depending on the day, I'd have like anywhere from five to 500 reasons of why I'm a Christian. Many reasons are, for me, you know, there are moments in time that were just real, where God just showed up. <laughs> and there's no way around it. And so in moments of doubt or struggle, I remember those moments, and I cling to them. I'm a Christian today because there is this inward testimony of the Holy Spirit in me that cries out, Abba, Father. I feel like even if I wanted to just outright reject the faith and indulge in the flesh, I feel like I'd, I'd go running as fast as I could to jump off the cliff and I'd run into a brick wall. Just the Spirit of God is like grabbing hold of me. But one of the biggest reasons I'm a Christian today is because of people I know who look like Jesus. It's, it's evident. Christ is being formed in them. Now, I, I think probably for most of you to answer that question, why are you Christian today? You, some, most of you would probably at least 
One of your reasons would be, well, Barb, or Bill, or John, or some godly man or woman who's just remained faithful. It's like, well, that person knows Jesus, so Jesus is real. I was talking to a brother of mine a couple days ago, and I just felt like, led to saying, like, you're one of the reasons I'm a Christian today. I see so clearly Christ in this man. I see the Spirit of God at work in him. I see how he handles suffering. I've seen how he works in his marriage and raises kids, how he handles money, how he eagerly maintains friendships and seeks reconciliation, how he forgives sin, how he manages living in a broken world, and it just looks like Jesus. And you know what? It inspires me. I want to live like that man. In fact, I've modeled much of my life after that man. And even where he falls short, or at moments doesn't seem to live like Jesus, quick to humble himself and seek Jesus. Even that is worth imitating. I desperately need brothers and sisters in my life who look and live and smell like Jesus. If I didn't have that, I think I'd be a train wreck. (laughs) Spiritual growth, spiritual formation is a group project. Now, what's difficult here is that in the very words of Paul where he says, imitate me, part of what he's doing and the implication would be that we need to imitate is calling other people to imitate us as he calls people to imitate him. Meaning this, not only are we supposed to imitate people who are following Jesus, but friends, we are supposed to be calling others to imitate us. And that like, Anybody else feel like that's tough? Now, I, in a way, signed up for this. Hebrews 13 says, you know, I better, I better make sure that I'm living a life that's worthy of the manner of the calling to which I've been called because what you're supposed to do for me and Mike and our elders here at this church is you're supposed to examine the outcome of our lives and then imitate us. And we're going to have to answer to Jesus for that. But make no mistake, <laughs> you are not relieved of your duties. <laughs> Of imitation. That's the implication of Hebrews 6 and Philippians 3 and 4 and 1 Timothy chapter 4. You are an ambassador of Christ in his kingdom. You are a child of God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're the city on a hill. You are Christ's body. And so every single one of us who've decided to follow Jesus in this room should be calling other people in our sphere of life to live like us. I want you to think about that. That is actually expected of you. Now that is hard, and this is why it's hard. To say to someone, I want you to look at the way I'm living, and I want you to imitate me, (laughs) immediately brings up areas in your life where you aren't following Jesus. Right? I mean, right now, I I want you to, again, imagine somebody in your life that you're like, this person needs to buckle up and start pursuing Jesus a little bit more. You know, maybe it's a, a son or a daughter or a friend or somebody you grew up with. Maybe, you know, whoever, if, if you're like, all right, this is, this is a person, it's, it's time for them to buckle up. You know, what would hinder you from walking up to that person this afternoon and saying, all right, here's what we're going to do. I just want you to live like me. I want you to, you're just going to, you're going to get into my business. You're going to see, you're, you're going to look at my bank account. You're going to look at my entertainment. You're going to look at my Netflix history. You're going to get on my phone. You're going to come into my home, see what I eat and drink. 
You're going to get on my schedule. You're going to listen. I'm going to, I'm going to think my thoughts out loud. <laughs> Anybody feel really uncomfortable yet? Your inadequacy, your shortcomings, your failures, your weaknesses would hinder you from doing that, right? Here's what's amazing. I'm telling you right now, your fear of calling somebody to come and follow you and imitate you is one of the greatest hindrances in your spiritual growth today. And here's why. In the call to go to somebody and say, I want you to imitate the way I'm living, there is a built-in urgency for holiness and a built-in accountability that you don't get anywhere else. And that's why the warning to me and Pastor Mike is if we mess up, we got to stand before all of you and be like, here's what happened. Because you're supposed to be looking at our lives as a model of how you're supposed to live. And so we have a lot of responsibility and there's a built-in accountability and urgency for Pastor Mike and myself and our elders that actually is one of the greatest gifts to us. Amen? And if you, out of fear or laziness or a desire to kind of like not deal with your junk are like, no, 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 I'll follow somebody, but nobody's following me, you're hindering your spiritual growth possibly one of your greatest obstacles. There's a, a, a man named John Bloom. He writes often on Desiring God, and he has an article about, um, he says, be humble enough to call other people to imitate your life. Think about that. Be humble enough. You know, when you, when you read all this from Paul, you're kind of like, who does Paul think he is? You want to be holy? Follow me. I'll show you what's up. This is how we do it. You're kind of like, oh, it doesn't really always, you know, Paul, Paul just sometimes comes off, and you're like, I don't I can't relate with this guy. And John makes an argument. He's like, actually, if you're not willing to look at somebody and say, hey, you want to follow Jesus, I want you to follow me. He goes, that's actually pride. It's not humility. And so here's an excerpt from his article I want you to consider with me. He says, I don't hold myself, myself up as a godly example like Paul did for two proud reasons. One, my life is not as exemplary as Paul's. Anybody else feel that? For sure. Two, I don't want others to think I'm proud. I don't, I don't want to go, you know, to you, you know, there's built enemy is not to go to you, Dave Cutillo, and be like, hey, Dave, you, you really want to know Jesus? Come follow me. We're going to make this happen. It, just, it feels proud. But look, he goes, I'm more selfish than Paul was. I'm not as passionate about the gospel. I'm not as joyful. I'm not as thankful. I'm not as focused and rigorous in my pursuit of attaining the resurrection as Paul was. Anybody? I don't anguish over the state of lost people. Romans, this is amazing. Romans 9, he says, I wish I myself were accursed so that they could be saved. Anybody feel that? I don't discipline my body like Paul did, which means the pride of unbelief and selfishness is active in me. Unbelief that greater joy in God is to be had if I pursue these things with greater abandon. Oh, man. And I don't want others to look too hard at my life and see these things. Don't you think the devil would love to keep you on the sidelines of imitation and let somebody else do the job? <laughs> Don't you think the devil would love for you to not call somebody to come and examine your life and follow you? Because what that would do was bring up the areas of your life that need to be changed and then would have to be dealt with. The enemy doesn't want that. Paul's saying, "Don't, don't, don't be influenced and start imitating these false teachers. They want to be made much of. It's going to cut you off. 
That's not the life of righteousness and joy and peace. Follow me. I'm laying down myself for the sake of others. I'm following Jesus. There's nobody in Galatia happier than me. I promise you, he's saying. There's nobody more joyful. There's nobody more free. And so bottom line, brothers and sisters, is you need two things in your life. I mean, if today you're like, hey, I need Christ to be shaped in me more. If today you're like, I want to look more like Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to grow. It matters to me. If that's you, there's two things you need to do. Seriously. I mean, God's word. One, you need to find somebody who looks, smells, lives, and acts like Jesus, and you need to follow him. You need to wiggle your way in your life, and you just need to start following him. Second is you need to have enough humility and courage to let all the junk bubble to the surface, deal with it, and start calling others to follow you as well. Few things in this world will make you more urgent about the gospel, and few things in this world will bring more accountability into your life. 